Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Journal Podcast. We're closing in on the halfway mark of the regular season, just five weeks away from the trade deadline. So today I want to talk about some teams that I think need to make some moves and really shake up their roster. So for today, I'm not worried about teams like the Warriors or the Bucks. Sure, they could be served to make a move to shore up their rotation, but the core of their roster is set in stone. And for a team like the Pistons or the Rockets, they're not making any moves this season to improve their short-term outlook. We're just focused on the teams that are in the middle, teams that could potentially shake up the standings and shake up this year's playoff race with a big move. So the team I want to talk about first is actually the LA Lakers. Obviously, we know this is a team that hasn't lived up to their highest expectations that were set for them in the beginning of the season. Now, me personally, I saw them as a team that was going to be trying to avoid the plan, try to be like a five or a six seed. And that's kind of where they are right now. So for me, they haven't exactly really fallen short of expectations in my mind. But based on what a lot of people thought for this team, you know, a lot of people saw them as a top three team in the East, a team that or in the West, excuse me, a team that could potentially even compete for the number one seed. And that's obviously not the case. But the thing with this Lakers team is the way that the roster is constructed. There's just not a lot of flexibility in terms of trying to move pieces around and bring new guys in. So obviously at the top, they have the three max contracts of LeBron, AD, and Russ. I don't think any of those guys are being moved. I think ideally they would like to move Russ for a guard that fits better, but I don't see any three of those guys being traded at any point. After that, it's THT's three-year $30 million deal. They have Malik Monk on a $5.5 million mid-level exception, and he has not played yet in a single game this season. And after that, it's all minimums, whether it's Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, all these guys signed for minimum contracts. So with that being said, there's just not a lot of salary that they can accumulate in a trade to bring back a player of real value. Their only hope in terms of improving the roster this season is that there's a team out there that is interested in Taylor Horton Tucker and what his potential might be. This season, he has not lived up to expectations at all. He's shooting, I think, like 26% from three, only like 40% from the field. He's really struggling on the offensive end, and he hasn't exactly brought the high-level defensive ability that a lot of Lakers fans thought he had in him. I think he's been fine on that end for the most part. The Lakers in general are kind of just average on defense, but they were really hoping for him to be a standout defender after losing KCP, after losing Kuzma, of course, Caruso, and he hasn't really stepped up into that defensive role. Given that he's still extremely young, I'm pretty sure he just turned 21 years old. There could definitely be, you know, rebuilding teams out there that would have interest in him. But any potential veteran addition that is going to be available for the Lakers to trade for, I I just don't see how they have a package that is better than what other teams are offering. For example, Jeremy Grant of the Detroit Pistons is probably going to be the biggest name on the trade market when it gets to deadline day. And of course, the Lakers would be interested in someone like that. He'd be a great fit for them, just like he'd be a great fit for any team trying to contend for a title this year. But I just don't see how a package of Talon Horton Tucker, uh, maybe like Kendrick Nunn, if if they were interested in him, and I think the Lakers have a 2028 first round pick to trade. I don't see how that trade package is better than what a lot of teams can offer, whether it be for Jamie Grant or for someone else. So it's just hard for me to see how the Lakers improve this roster. Now, there's always some potential for buyout guys, and generally that's not something that has a huge impact on contending teams. But for a team like the Lakers, I think if the right guy gets bought out, they could definitely find someone to add to their rotation. To me, this Lakers roster, obviously you have the big three. They're going to get their minutes. I think Melo is pretty essential to what they have going on, even though he's a liability defensively. Guys like Monk and Ariza, I think definitely have to be in the rotation. And ideally, none if he gets healthy would probably be worthy of getting into the rotation. Outside of that, though, they really are just mixing and matching and just trying to find whatever they can. Like They've picked up Stanley Johnson off the scrap heap, and he's been huge for them. So maybe they'll be able to add like another Stanley Johnson, you know, someone else just off the scrap heap from the buyout market. But I just can't see how any big changes are coming to this Lakers roster. 
Now, speaking of Jeremy Grant, I want to bring up the Utah Jazz because I think if they can find a way to trade for him and add him into their rotation, then I think that could be the type of move that actually moves Utah into being a team that is legitimately contending. Because the way I see the Jazz right now, they're a very good team without a doubt. There's undeniably, no matter which way you want to look at it, they're a very good team. I just don't see them winning four playoff series. I just think the way that the team is built, the way that they play, I just can't see them winning four straight series. Now, the reason for that is because of the way their defense is set up. Offensively, I trust Donovan Mitchell. He's someone that elevates his game when it comes to the playoffs, and I would trust him in any big moment situation. I think Mike Conley is a really reliable guard to have as well. And just the Jazz system offensively, how many threes they get, how many open looks they're able to create. I trust their offense, but their defense, the way it's set up, is just putting too much pressure on Rudy Gobert. We saw it last year, and we're going to see it again if they don't make any upgrades to the roster. Game 6 between the Clippers and Jazz in the second round of last year's playoffs is a game that was overanalyzed to hell, but it is a very key point in why I think as currently constructed, the Jazz are not contenders. Again, this is a game that's been talked about endlessly, so I don't want to rehash all the details, but this is the Terrence Mann 39-point game in which... A lot of people wanted to blame Gobert because that was who he was guarding, but the reality of the situation was the Jazz could not stop anybody off the dribble and it forced Rudy Gobert to defend the rim and the corner three at the same time. Now, of course, the Jazz got unlucky in that game and the fact that Terrence Mann was on fire from three. It was an offensive performance that we'll probably never see again from Terrence Mann. But the fact of the matter is, it exposed a giant flaw in Jazz defense and with the way the roster is now, I don't think they can alleviate those concerns. So like I said, Rudy Gobert had to guard the rim and the corner three at the same time because the fact of the matter is the Jazz point of attack defense is just not good enough. They don't have the point of attack defense that allows Rudy Gobert to do his job to the degree that they want him to because the way it's set up, they want to funnel everything into Gobert and for good reason, you know, he's the best rim protector in the league. So they want to funnel everything to him, but that becomes an issue when teams go five out and he can't camp the paint. It's a strategy that's really effective over the course of the regular season because teams just aren't going to consistently go five out. They generally are going to play a center that's not stretching the floor. But when you're matched up against the same team seven games in a row, you can afford to do something like play a five out system. And that's when the Jazz get exposed. So the reason why I think them trading for Jeremy Grant is such a big deal is because he can be that primary perimeter defender that they're lacking. Now, in order to get Jeremy Grant, they would have to use one of Ingles or Bogdan for salary matching purposes and then throw in some draft picks. The issue for Utah here is that Ingles and Bogey are both into their 30s. So for a team like Detroit, if they're trading Jeremy Grant, those are not exactly the type of players that they're looking to acquire. Now maybe you could work out some sort of three-team deal where they're getting back like a young player instead of one of those two. But of course that makes things a million times more complicated to try to make it a three-team deal. And in addition, said first-round picks that the Jazz would be giving up probably are not going to be very valuable to the Pistons. If they're picks in the short term, then you can pretty much guarantee that they're not going to have high value. We can pretty much assume that the Jazz are going to have a good record in the regular season for the next however many years that they have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And if it's a pick down the line, like six, seven years from now, then how interested are the Pistons really in trading their best player for a pick down the line? So I'm not sure how feasible a Jeremy Grant to Utah trade is. I just think if he gets moved, that's the situation in where I think he can have the biggest impact. I, w I would say Denver if he were to go back to Denver, but now that they have Aaron Gordon, I think he kind of just fills up most of that role. I think they'd rather have Jeremy Grant than Aaron Gordon, but having both of them is probably not the most beneficial situation. So I think Jeremy Grant with Utah would be the best fit for him. I want to bring up two teams now that I think could be fit for like a consolidation trade, you know, like a three for one or maybe even like a four for one type of move to 
acquire like a higher level player and that's the Grizzlies and the Hawks. Now the Grizzlies obviously have overperformed from expectations from the start of the season. A lot of people saw the Adams and Valanciunas trade and saw it as the Grizzlies sort of taking a step back in their their short term in order to take more of like a long-term approach in building out their roster. But the fact of the matter is they are better than they were last year. A lot of that has to do with the improvement to John Morant and Desmond Bain, but I do think that Adams has filled in nicely for Valanciunas, and it hasn't been the type of drop-off that many expected, including myself. So the Grizzlies currently stand as the four seed, and while they've been really patient in building out this team, I could see them wanting to make sort of a consolidation move to get a second star to pair with John Morant. I know they see Jaron Jackson Jr. as sort of the second star of the future for them, but I would not be surprised if they try to, you know, put together a couple of their role players and try to make a move. So Zach Lowe on his podcast threw out the idea of the Grizzlies trading for Jalen Brown by giving up Desmond Bain, Zaire Williams, uh, some salary filler, and then a couple picks and a couple swaps. Now, as a Celtics fan, I almost threw up in my mouth, but I think the idea of that sort of trade is something that I could, I could see the Grizzlies trying to do. Now, I like Desmond Bain a lot. You know, he's having a great second year putting up like 17 points a game, but to me, he's much more of a complimentary scorer and not like a second option on a championship team probably not even a third option. So if they were able to turn him and their first round pick from this year into someone who is that type of star player, then I'd like to see them make that move because I think Ja is legitimately good enough to where the Grizzlies can contend for a title. I don't know if they're going to do it this year. It's just, you know, it's pretty unprecedented for a star player in his first run to, you know, even get to the finals and run win the finals. But I do not think that the Grizzlies are very far away from being real contenders. And yes, I know the Grizzlies made the playoffs last year and they beat the Jazz in game one, but this will be John Morant's real first run in the postseason. So I don't see them getting to the finals this year, but I think he is the type of player that can be the best player on a championship contending team. And when you have that type of guy on your roster, you cannot mess around. Sure, he's only like 22 years old, 23 years old right now, but before you know it, he's in the middle of his prime and you haven't gone anywhere. So the Grizzlies have to make sure that they capitalize on this opportunity. They have a lot of assets that they can put together to go after a star type player. So as soon as that guy becomes available, someone that you know they think fits basketball-wise with what they have going on, I think they absolutely have to pounce on that. And they can use Bain, they can use Zaire Williams, they have guys like Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson to fill salary. They got more depth pieces, DeAnthony Melton, John Conchar, Killian Tilly. I mean, this team is incredibly deep. They can put the players together to... They have the superstar trade package. You know, they have young guys, they have salary filler, they have all of their picks that they can offer. So if they decide to stay pat this year and just, you know, rock with what they got and keep developing their guys, I'd be fine with that. You know, I wouldn't be upset as a Grizzlies fan, but I definitely think it'd be exciting to see Ja paired with like a a legit second star. And the same goes for Trey Young and the Hawks. Honestly, basically everything I just said about Ja Morant and the Grizzlies applies to Trey Young and the Hawks, except for the fact that they're not uh, exceeding expectations. The Hawks have fallen off from last year. Um, And a lot of that has to do with their defense. Clint Capella in particular has not looked like the same player he was last year. Now, I think he had a career year last year. You know, he's leading the league in reboundings and reboundings. He was leading the league in rebounds. And I think I had him like third on my defensive player of the year ballot. He carried Atlanta's defense. Like he was legitimately an anchor for a team that finished, I want to say like nine or maybe like 11, somewhere in the range of top 10 on defense last year. This season has just not been the same. A lot of that has to do with DeAndre Hunter being injured again. Uh, He'll be back soon, but he's missed the majority of the season. Trust me, I know because he's on my fantasy team. So they just haven't played with the same juice that they seemed to have last year, especially, you know, after firing uh, Lloyd Pierce for Nate McMillan. And I think last year they were uh, a candidate for a consolidation trade. So this year I could definitely see them being active at the deadline. 
They've been talking about wanting to move Cam Reddish for a while now because they want to reset his rookie contract because they just can't afford to extend everybody. They've drafted really well in the last three or four years here. But I could see them making even a bigger move. You know, I could see them packaging Cam Reddish with a couple other salaries to try and go and get like a, a real core piece. The problem being, because their defense has fallen off so much, I don't know if there's like the right star player out there for them to go after. Because ideally, they're going to need a two-way player. If they pair up Trey Young with, you know, someone who kind of is all offense and no defense, then that puts even more pressure on Clint Capella to be their defensive anchor. And like I said, he just has not filled that role as well this year. So I do think it's more imperative than, you know, in comparison to a team like the Grizzlies that if they are going to go for that star player in a trade, then it has to be someone that can impact the game on both ends of the floor because the Hawks are just simply not good enough on defense right now. So I'm not sure if that right star player is really out there for the Hawks. Now look, if Jalen Brown really is on the trading block, then, you know, I'll throw up in my mouth again, but uh, he would be the type of guy that I think they should go for. Someone that can complement Trey Young offensively while still being an impact defender. Another trade target team I want to talk about is the Wizards. I think the Wizards are super interesting when it comes to this year's trade deadline. Obviously, this is a team that started off really hot. They were like 11-3 to start the year. They were the one seed at one point. And now they've fallen back to the middle of the pack. They're 19-18. and 18. They stand as the seventh seed right now. And I just think they're really interesting when it comes to this year's deadline because this is a team that is loaded with a lot of like really solid rotation pieces. Obviously, Beal and Dinwiddie have not you know, played as well as, you know, they have in years past, but guys like Kuzma, guys like Aaron Holiday, their rookie Corey Kispert, second year player Denny Avdia, Daniel Gafford, there's a lot of guys on this team that I think could be really big impact players on other teams, and the Wizards are in sort of like this weird limbo situation where they're definitely not contending for a title right now, but they're way too good and way too filled with veteran players to be considered rebuilding. They're really just stuck in the middle. And yes, this is the situation they've been in for however many years in a row now. But I think this could be a year where they really shift some things around. Looking at Bradley Beal's contract, he signed for this year at 33.7 mil. And then he has a $36.4 million player option for next season. Now, chances are he either opts into that money or wants to sign an extension with Washington. But to me, I see this as a point where the Washington Wizards can really jumpstart a rebuild and get a lot of assets for a guy that is not going to help them contend for a title. I love Bradley Beal. I think he's fantastic. The fact of the matter is he's not leading the Wizards to a title. You would need to import a lot of talent onto that roster to get them to where they can compete for even a conference finals appearance. And so I know trading away your franchise player, especially one that's been committed to your franchise for his entire career, it's not an easy thing to do. But for the long-term health of the franchise, I think it makes a lot of sense to try and get one of those superstar trade packages for Beal. Given the way he's played this season, I don't know if there's a team out there willing to give up the farm for him. But if they can find someone that'll give them a couple prospects with the all the picks plus swaps package, it's definitely something that I think they should be considering at the deadline. If they do decide to move Bradley Beal and they're able to get that, you know, a blue chip prospect plus like a role player plus the picks and swaps thing then I think they have the pathway to a really successful rebuild because if they're able to move Beal, then they're able to move Dinwiddie most likely, plus all those other role players I mentioned. They can move a lot of guys, similar to what the Magic did last year by trading away their three best players. I could see the Wizards being that sort of team this year because I think Bradley Beal would absolutely net you more in a trade than what the Magic got for Vucevic. I think they got you know 120 cents on the dollar for him, but I still think that the Wizards could get more than what the Magic got. And then you throw in what they might be able to get for someone like Dinwiddie or someone like Kuzma. Those are two guys that I think a lot of teams would definitely be interested in bringing on. My Celtics included. I would love to have either of those guys on my team. So I definitely think that a successful rebuild path is on the table for the Wizards if they choose to go down that path. 
they probably won't just that's kind of how nba franchises work chances are they're not going to choose to blow it up but i think it's something to look out for they're the seven seed right now if they were to go on like a skid here in february we might start to see the bradley beal trade rumors heat up once again I want to be able to talk about the Mavericks and how I think they should make a trade, but similar to the Lakers, I just don't think they have a lot of pieces on the roster that they can move for something that's going to make them better. Obviously, we all know that this team relies on Luka too much. They they lean on him way too much for creating their offense, but they don't really have those young guys that they can trade to a rebuilding team. They don't have all of their picks. There's just not a lot in terms of assets that they can move around right now. If they were to try to move Porzingis, I would have to imagine that they can't get full value for him right now, given what his contract is. There's probably not a move out there that makes sense for them. The signing of Reggie Bullock has not been good for them. That's a complete waste of $10 million. He's been terrible this season. Tim Hardaway Jr. recently got signed. I can't really see them moving him. He probably is the guy that they would have to move in order to get back like a real contributor. But unless they're somehow finding a way to turn Tim Hardaway Jr. into like a better version of Tim Hardaway Jr., then I just don't see how moving him makes them a better team. He's pretty essential to what they have going on. He's easily their best wing. I consider Dorian Finney-Smith a forward, so Tim Hardaway Jr. is definitely their best wing. So there's probably not a trade out there where they're giving up Tim Hardaway Jr. and getting back someone better. You look at where the rest of the the salary on this roster is. They're paying Dwight Powell $11 million. They're paying Maxi Kleba about nine. Willie Cauley-Stein a little bit over four mil. Boban, three and a half. Trey Burke, three mil. Sterling Brown, three mil. Josh Green, three mil. There's not really a lot in terms of accumulating salaries that they can put together here. I think this team has to find more value for what they're paying for their front court. Between Porzingis, Powell, Kleba, Willie Cauley-Stein, and Boban, they're basically playing $75 million for their front court this year for a group of guys that is not really giving them a whole lot of production. I think in the ideal, they'd like to trade Dwight Powell. The issue is that he's due $11.8 million next year, whereas Maxi Kleba is only owed $9 million and it's not even fully guaranteed for next season. So I think Kleba is the easier of the two to move, but I do think he's definitely the more valuable player for the Mavericks. So unless they can find someone to bite on Dwight Powell plus like a couple extra salary fillers, I don't really see what's out there for them in in terms of trying to improve this team. And this is due to the fault of just having terrible draft history. The Mavericks essentially have no desirable assets that they can trade away because they simply have been awful in the draft in the last 15 years. I know they drafted Luka and Jalen Brunson was a good pick for them. Outside of that, their draft history is pitiful. It's really bad. In the last 15 years, here's the full list of all the first-round picks that the Mavericks have made. Maurice Agger, Byron Mullins, Jordan Hamilton, Tyler Zeller, Justin Anderson, Dennis Smith Jr., Luka Doncic, Josh Green. That's it. That's the entire list. So yeah, the Mavs are pretty stuck with what they got right now. I do not see a trade out there for them. That makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, They just don't have desirable assets outside of their core guys. And if they were to move those core guys, I don't think it improves the team. So the Mavericks kind of stuck right now. They probably just have to wait out until maybe they have some cap space. But cap space is pretty unreliable in today's NBA. With Luka's max extension kicking in next season, there's not going to be a whole lot of cap space to go around anyway. So unless, you know, a star player demands a trade and the Mavericks are like on their short list, it's hard to see how they ever really pair Luka with someone like worthwhile. Uh, they they made the play for Porzingis. It was, it was a bold move, a risky move. Didn't work out, and now they're paying the consequences of that. So I kind of just improved that section. I just decided I wanted to talk about the Mavericks, but as I got into it, it got way less optimistic than I thought. So let's move on to the Timberwolves because that is a team that I think has a lot of optimism and a team that I think is primed for a trade to boost them up in the standings. 
So, spoiler alert for my next podcast episode, I'm trying to get on someone who is like a big Timberwolves fan. It's this guy, What's on Tap NBA uh, on Instagram. Uh, big Timberwolves guy, really good uh, like basketball Instagram analyst type dude, you know. So, I'm trying to get him on for next episode to talk about the Timberwolves, but right now, I just want to say I think the Timberwolves are in a prime spot to go after like a big trade candidate, whether it be Ben Simmons or for another star. I think they have all the pieces necessary to go out and get another guy to pair with Anthony Edwards and Cat. Now, if it is going to be Ben Simmons, I actually think that D'Lo plus like a Jared Vanderbilt or a Jalen McDaniels uh, plus like some picks is one of the better offers that the Sixers probably have right now for Ben Simmons. Um, I, w- I would imagine that the Timberwolves would pretty easily give them that package right there for Ben Simmons. And given what else I think is out there, I think that's a pretty good deal for them. And I really do like the idea of the Wolves getting Ben Simmons. Obviously, it's the ideal version of Ben Simmons, who's like interested in playing basketball and is like genuinely engaged with his team. But at this point, I can do no more speculation on Ben Simmons. I have to just assume that eventually he's going to come back and play basketball and be the player that he was. If it's not going to be a a splashy move like a trade for Ben Simmons, I definitely think the Timberwolves will be in the market for a move around the edges. Given that they currently stand as the 9 seed and are desperate to at least make the play-in, They're definitely going to be looking to be buyers at this year's deadline, which most teams are because of the play-in tournament, but the Timberwolves definitely should be aggressive in trying to add another piece to their rotation. In terms of who they might look to trade, you probably don't want to give away a guy like a Jared Vanderbilt or a Jaden McDaniels unless it's for one of those star players, but I think someone like Malik Beasley should definitely be on the block. I just think he's someone that's definitely very talented. But what he provides is just not really what the Timberwolves need. They have plenty of scoring punch between their big three, as well as guys like Nas Reed off the bench, to where I think it makes more sense to turn Beasley into like a two-way forward. They definitely could use someone at the small forward or power forward spot that they can just plug into their lineup, rather than having like a spark plug, six-man off the bench type score that Malik Beasley is. Josh Okogie is another guy that I think could be on the block. He's someone that, you know, with his perimeter defense, I think is definitely valuable for the Timberwolves. But I could see another team seeing someone like Josh Okoge and thinking that they could get a little bit more out of him in a different role. He's only putting up three points per game. It doesn't seem like he's a huge part of the Timberwolves. I think he's definitely someone that the Timberwolves would be willing to give up in a deal. Um, and I think he's someone that you know could be useful in another team's rotation as well. If the Timberwolves are able to make some sort of roster upgrade by this year's deadline, then I absolutely see them as a play-in team. I could even see them getting up as high as the sixth seed. I know it might seem a little bit bold for a team like the Timberwolves, But when you look at the West right now, there's a top four that has emerged. Obviously, we know it's the Warriors, the Suns, and the Jazz at the top. The Grizzlies, with their hot play, they've sort of separated themselves as the four seed. They're on a six-game winning streak right now, and they have a five-game lead over the five seed. But after that, five through 14 in the West is pretty wide open. You have the Nuggets at five, the Mavericks at six, the Lakers at seven, Clippers at eight, Timberwolves nine, and Kings ten. The Timberwolves are only two games back of the Nuggets for the five seed right now. They currently stand at 17 and 20. The Nuggets are 18 and 17. So it would appear almost halfway through the season that, you know, a slightly above 500 record will probably get you out of the play-in tournament in the West. I think it's going to be a huge clusterfuck between five and like 12. But if the Timberwolves can just maintain 500 basketball this season, then they're absolutely going to be playing postseason basketball. So I know this has been a relatively short episode, but I just wanted to get back in and just update a couple of things that have been a couple weeks since I had posted an episode. Uh, but I'm going to get you guys out of here lastly by talking about the Spurs. They're 14-22 and 22 on the season, but they have a positive net rating because they just lose a ton of close games. They're basically middle of the pack on both ends of the floor. They really just need an extra impact player in there that can kind of take them over the top. 
just over the top in terms of winning these close games, not like, you know, becoming a contender. But I think if they were able to add just one more real guy into their rotation, they would win a lot more games. Now, I don't think they need to, you know, be trading draft picks in order to push themselves into the play-in tournament, but there's definitely some guys on this roster that could be moved without, you know, taking away a whole lot of their production. Namely, Thaddeus Young, the guy that they acquired from the DeMar DeRozan sign trade. He was really, really good for the Bulls last year. He was someone that I thought the Bulls would try to trade because he was going to be someone that a contender would have really wanted. But he ended up getting moved in the DeMar DeRozan signing trade, and he's only played 23 games so far with the Spurs. It's clear that, you know, he's not part of their long-term plans. He's only getting 14 minutes a night when he does play. And he's definitely someone that a lot of contenders would be interested. I think the Suns would be dying to add Thaddeus Young to their front court rotation. And I think they'd be willing to give up a young player that could make a difference for the Spurs. Lonnie Walker and Derek White are also two players that I think that they should be probably shopping around a little bit. Lonnie Walker just hasn't quite lived up to the expectations. He shows the flashes every few games to where you think that he could be a really big player someday, but he just isn't consistent enough, and I think that they could get another team to bite on him for a player that's maybe a little bit more consistent. And for Derek White, I just think he's at a point where he's not going to fit in with the long-term core of this team. He's you, know, you would think of him as sort of like a young guy, but he's already 28 years old. And you know, he's not shooting the ball well this year, which might hurt his trade value a little bit, but I still think there would be a ton of teams interested in adding him. He's just someone that I think they can get really good value for at this point, and given that he's probably not in their long-term plans just because he doesn't fit like age-wise with the core of this team, he's someone that I think they should look at you know, trying to move. The counter to this argument is actually that they might want to be sellers rather than trying to add another guy to you know, try to flip the balance in a lot of these close games. The counter argument is that they might just be a number one pick away from being like a really good team down the line. I think the core pieces that they have in place between DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, um, I think Josh Primo down the line is going to be really good for them. Obviously, he's just getting like G League reps right now because he's only like 18, but I think he has really high potential. Jakob Pertl is maybe the most underrated big in the league and he's only like 25. If they're able to add like Paolo Bencaro and he lives up to what his potential is, then that could be a contending core three or four years down the line. So making a move that pushes them up to like the 9 or the 10 seed in the West might not be the most beneficial thing for them long term. I just don't think they're very far away from having a much better record than 14 and 22. So that's really all I got in terms of you know trade discussion. Like I said, next episode, I'm going to try to get my man What's on Tap to come on and talk about the Timberwolves, maybe talk about a little bit about the draft because I know he likes the draft as well. But that's it for this episode. Make sure to leave a like, make sure to leave a rating, share this with your friends. As always, thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you next time.